to the readings from Genesis 45, which is on page 50. So Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can your, my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also instructed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die.
Thank you, Kesia, very much. And it's great to see you here. Uh, whether you've been many times before, whether you're a visitor, it's terrific to be able to welcome you. My name's Jeremy. And uh, great to see James here, James Buchanan. Uh, James was our first ever curate at Trinity way, way back in 1823 or something like that. And uh, James, it's brilliant to have you back from South Africa. And we're going to be hearing a bit more from you later on in the service. Uh, just to say as well that next week uh, we've got a question time on the whole of the section of Genesis that we've been looking at, which we've been calling the saving of many lives. Uh, it goes from Genesis 37 all the way through to 50. And if you want to ask a question at any time, uh, maybe during this talk, and, and then we'll be dealing with it next week, use the QR code which is on the back of the service sheet. You can just open your camera, camera on your smartphone, point it at that, and it'll take you straight to the webpage where you can ask a question. Um, and then we'll have a slot in next week's service where we'll be thinking about that a little bit more. Good. Well, we're in Genesis 45 um, this afternoon. Genesis 45. Um, it's on page 50. And just before we look at that in more detail, we're going to pray. So let's pray for God's help. Father God, as uh, people who've been rescued by Jesus, people who've been set free to belong to him, uh, we want to be more deeply rooted in him. And so I pray as we gather together around your throne of grace uh, through your gospel, I pray that we would better understand Jesus in our, in our minds and that we would better value him in our hearts. Please root us in him, help us to see him and, and, and to treasure him this afternoon. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, this is a great book, actually. I, um, I, I just stole this from Justin, uh, but I've, I've read, it, read it myself. It's called What If? And it's um, Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions, uh, which is quite a, quite a name. What if everyone stood in the same place on Earth and jumped up and down at the same time? Um, the, whole, the whole of the population of the Earth could fit onto Rhode Island. Did you know that? Uh, what if you put a nuclear submarine into orbit? Uh, th these are the questions that this book, What If, um, answers, if you're at all interested in that. Let's ask a, a slightly different kind of what if question. Um, what if Jesus had been taken to Egypt and died in prison? That's quite possible, isn't it? I'm sure lots of people died in prison in Egypt. Uh, what would have happened then? Um, Jacob and, and Joseph's 11 brothers, um, I guess they would have died of starvation during the, during the seven years of famine. Uh, the family would have died out. Uh, there'd be no, um, no sort of people of God. There'd be no, um, no line of promise, no land, um, no priests, no, no sacrifices, um, no witness to the nations, no Messiah, no cross, no um, gospel of forgiveness, no church, no Pentecost. Um, just a world of sin and broken relationships and judgment. Can you see how much this family matters as we come to the end of Genesis? How important this family is to God's purposes. But what if? What, what, if, um, what if Joseph, instead of dying, could be put in charge of all of the food in the world? Can you imagine that? One person in charge of all the food in the world. What if... Um, what if he could somehow get that food to Jacob and his 11 brothers and, and, and feed them? And more than that, what if he could uh, get this dysfunctional family on whom so much rest and, and, and reunite them as God's chosen people? What then, huh? 
so that God's enormous promises could be carried forwards. Just like, um, I don't know if you remember back in chapter 35, verse 11. God promises that his people will become a community of nations, a harmonious band of brothers and sisters who are going to dwell together in unity. That's God's promise. What if, what if God could bring that about, huh? Uh, that would say a lot about his power, wouldn't it? And his control over history. I mean, if, if I knew that there was a God like that in, in heaven somewhere, that, that would convince me in my everyday life that there's someone running the show. Um, more specifically, um, as I think about my life over the next week, it would convince me that there's a God who's got my back, who can look after me. Uh, he's, he must be quite capable if he could do those things. And, and, and there's a God who will do anything to make sure that his promises come true. And, and that he'll treat me much, much better than I deserve, and uh, that he's fully able to bring me to a place of safety. If there's a God who can do all those things, then I'm going to trust him in the week ahead. And that's not far from what we're going to learn in Genesis 45. There is a God like that. And he can be trusted. That there's um, That a world where God is in charge, fully in charge, is a world of maximum mercy. A world where God is in charge is a world of maximum mercy. That's what we're going to be learning from Genesis 45. Three, um, three summary points then, really from 43, 44, uh, 43, 44, and 45 in our series, The Saving of Many Lives. Three points. And the first is this. See on the screen. An offer of a second chance. An offer of a second chance. Let me explain. Offer of a second chance. So um, you remember that um, as we looked at chapter 42, um, the brothers had started on a series of tests. They'd, they'd gone all the way to Egypt, and Joseph had subjected them to some tests. And, and, and the, the next three chapters describe a whole series of trips from Canaan to Egypt and back to Canaan and then and back to Egypt. And, you know, I'm sure the brothers wish they'd bought a, a, a sort of rail card for the Cairo Express, or it was. They seemed to spend their time sort of traveling between the two, a whole series of, jo- of journeys. And, and the thing is that um, Joseph knows who his brothers are, but the brothers don't know who Joseph is. Um, but it's really a series of tests that, that Joseph puts them through, and it's tests which give the brothers a second chance. Give the brothers a second chance. So um, back in 37, if you remember back at the start of the story, then the brothers sell Joseph, and, and there's no guilt at all. Okay, they don't feel bad about it, nothing really to speak of. But in, um, in chapter 42, when Joseph tests them with, with accusations and time in prison, then they have a second chance, and this time they recognize their guilt. You see, they start to realize that they're guilty. They start to see that they deserve punishment. This second time around, they get it right, okay? Shows that they've changed. Or or back in 37, at the start of the story, then um, the brothers value silver more than they value their brother. Um, That's that's why they sold him. I guess they like the feeling of a, a bit of silver in their pocket, yeah? Feels good. Quarter of a kilo of silver, twenty shekels of silver. That that felt good. 
But come forward to, to, to this section in, in chapter 43, and Joseph tests them by putting silver in their sacks. See how they think about that. Um, but the brothers give it up. Um, chapter 43, verse 21, they take it back to Egypt. And they say, um, this isn't our silver, actually. We don't want it. Uh, do you want it back? This time they get it right. And, uh, and the steward in Egypt says, uh, literally, peace, shalom. It's okay, it's good. Yeah. And then, and then what happens? Uh, they bring Simeon out. So, and the brothers have, have given up their silver and they've gained a brother. Can you see how that's the other way around from the way it worked back in chapter 37? They've had a second chance and this time they've got it right. You see the point? Yeah. And then test number three is all about favoritism. Um, so, um, sibling rivalry is quite a big thing, isn't it? Um, I don't know whether you've got brothers and sisters. How you get on with them? Uh, I think when, when you've had a new baby, I think, I think when Justin was born, you sort of pretend that the new baby has given the older sibling a present. Then you say, I, I know they're only 24 hours old, but they've given you this lovely teddy. Look at this. Isn't that amazing? Uh, but sibling rivalry can be a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, my my mum and my auntie um, didn't get on for 60 years. 60 years. Uh, maybe you've seen that in your own family. It's incredible how long it can persist, that sort of sibling, sibling rivalry. Well, well, back at the start of the story, back in, in Genesis 37, the air is just thick with sibling rivalry. You'll know that. Um, so um, Joseph's dad gives him a special coat, and he has a, in, and he has a special dream. And um, oh, the brothers just couldn't stand that. Um, couldn't stand all this... Um, dreaming stuff and the, and the special treatment all the favoritism so what does joseph do in 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 chapter 43 he tests them he gives them a second chance it's interesting so um he invites all the brothers to dinner and then he gives benjamin five times as much as the others can you imagine that sort of spaghetti bolognese sort of one plate you know in front of each of the brothers comes to um comes to Benjamin, five plates of spaghetti bolognese, okay, with cheese on top, garlic bread. And, and you can imagine Joseph just watching them to see how they respond, how they're going to deal with this. Have, have they learned? Well, they're okay. They're okay with that. They've, they, they've got over their sibling rivalry. It's good, isn't it? They've passed the test. You see how so many things that they got wrong back in chapter 37 are sort of repeated to show how the brothers have changed so that Joseph can, can make sure that their hearts have changed. And then finally, Joseph puts them back in chapter 37 as firmly as he possibly can. Um, chapter 44. So he, he plants a silver cup, his own silver cup, in Benjamin's sack. Okay. It looks like Benjamin's in serious trouble. And uh, then he sends people after the brothers and they discover this, this silver cup. And then the brothers have a decision. Okay, They've got to decide what to do. Are they going to cut, cut themselves loose from Benjamin and run? 
or are they going to back him up? See the scenario? The brothers have to decide whether to betray their brother, LA, chapter 37, just like they did before with Joseph, or whether they're going to stick by him. And so what happens? Well, Judah steps forward. He was the, he was the guy who just makes a, a disastrous decision. Do you remember with Tamar back in chapter 38? Complete car crash of a relationship. But this time he gets it right. So um, in chapter 44, he makes the longest speech of anyone in, in the book of Genesis. Have a look just across the page of chapter 44, verse 33. This is Judah. You can hardly believe it, okay? Verse 33. Now then, please let your servant, he's talking about himself, remain here as my Lord's slave, Joseph's slave, in place of the boy, Benjamin, and let the boy return with his brothers. You see, 15 years ago, he had no qualms at all about selling his brother into slavery. Now he wants his brother to go free, and he's willing to become a slave himself. See? And so Judah becomes the first person in the Bible to offer his life in place of another. It's very significant, isn't it? That's the point. The, the, the brothers are given a second chance. God is the God of second chances. He really is. We, we have that every day. You know, not, I mean, not just a second chance, because we've already most of us blown our second chance, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. I know that I have. But, but God gives another chance all the time, every day, to, to recognize, like the brothers, that we deserve punishment, maybe, to recognize our guilt, to, to sort of drop all that... Um, self-defense, that self-righteousness. Uh, it gives us another chance to prioritize people over pounds and pence. Maybe that's something we struggle with. You know, you give up the money, look after people. Uh, another chance to stop being jealous of, of other people, uh, you know, jealous of their houses or their jobs or their situations or their families. Um, we've got another chance to, to let go of our jealousy Another chance to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. That hurts, doesn't it? Um, it's a hard thing to do. Well, just like Will was praying earlier on to tell our boss or a colleague that we're a, that we're a follower of Jesus. New chances every day. So God's, God's a God who gives us new chances. Opportunities to change. Second chances all the time. It's never too late. Sometimes when we've got something wrong a few times, we kind of think, there's no point trying. Um, you know, what's the point? Actually... God says there is a point. I'll give you a new opportunity to follow me. That's the God of the Bible. And it's because God's king is so full of mercy. So full of mercy. That's our, sec that's our second point. And, and we're, we're coming forwards now into the, into the passage that we heard read earlier on, chapter 45. We're calling it a king of merciful care. Okay, Joseph is a king of merciful care. That's what we see. And, and this is the sort of emotional heart of, of the whole of these 14 chapters. And this is the sort of turnaround. This is the big reveal. This is the family reunion. This is where tears are openly shed. Um, have a look down at chapter 45, verses one, 1 and 2. This is what it says, down there on page 50. 
chapter 45, verses 1 and 2. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And so much of chapter 45 is about 12 grown men sort of weeping, talking, and hugging. Um, it's good, isn't it, to, to know that men in the Bible can express their emotions so unguardedly that they can be heard next door. That, that, that's a good thing, isn't it? But, but what I want you to notice is, is, is the, just the kindness and the mercy that Joseph shows his brothers. Mercy that goes above and beyond. Have a look at verse 4. I think it's really remarkable. Verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Uh, they sold him into Egypt. And then notice his very first concern in, in verse 5. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Emotionally, it's just stunning, isn't it, that he should, he should love his brothers in that way, don't you think? His first concern is for them. Please, please don't, don't beat yourself up. <laughs> you know, we, we know that you've got things wrong. Or, or, or if you're not too convinced, have a look down at verse 24. <laughs> You can imagine this, can't you? Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So pastoral, do you know what I mean? Um, so full of concern. Don't be distressed with yourselves. Don't quarrel on the way. It's okay. Um, and it's amazing when you see people with that degree of love. I don't know, um, I don't know whether you heard about this, but um, right at the end, of the last, I think the last day of 2018, um, I, I got a call from a local pastor, a guy called Brad Franklin. Do you know him? He's up at St. Giles. Um, uh, he's, a faith, he's a faithful pastor. And his wife, Megan, who I think was 29 years old, um, died very suddenly of meningitis. Seven children. And um, I was very, very privileged to be um, part of the WhatsApp group, which was put together um, for, for us to support Brad, so that we could support him and um, share my love and, and remind him that we were praying for him. The thing was that he ended up supporting us. And the most extraordinary thing, he pastored us through the death of his wife, and he pastored his own church. Um, and, and, and his concern was not for himself, but for us. Incredible. Um, or, or maybe you know Chris Green. He's a vicar up in, um, up in Muswell Hill. And uh, he also has a sort of oversight role here at Trinity. So he's part of the, uh, the senior board of reference um, here at Trinity. And he was um, diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And... Um, not only did he um, send an email around to, to his friends and say, it's okay, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord, and I want you to trust the Lord too. If you're not yet a Christian, I want you to know that my, my life's in God's hands. But he sent a special email 
um, to, to those of us who um, have had some sort of medical training um, to say, I know that you will be especially worried about this because you know that the prognosis, the outcome of esophageal cancer is, is dreadful. The survival rate is really, really bad. But I don't want you to worry, and they're caught it early, um, uh, and um, here's all the medical information, please pray for me. And he, and he was pastoring people through his own diagnosis of cancer. You see, it, was, it wasn't about himself, it was about us. Um, do you know Epaphroditus? Uh, just a little pen portrait at the end of Philippians 2. Have a look at it a little bit later on if you want. Epaphroditus is someone who, um, who the people in Rooted have been learning about, actually, as they've gone through Philippians. Um, and Paul talks about him as a, as a loyal brother and a friend. Um, Epaphroditus, the end of Philippians 2. And Paul says um, he almost died. Um, Epaphroditus did. But what worried him was that the church might be worried. Uh, it wasn't the fact that he'd almost he'd had a brush with death. Um, he was worried that the church might be worried. His concern was not for himself, it was for them, you see. And so Joseph, um, he pastors his, his brothers who betrayed him. He pastors them through the situation. And then he sends them off, and, and he says, so the, the key word is sort of hurry. He says, um, hurry, hurry. Um, don't delay. Bring my father down here quickly. And he sets up this sort of new for old scheme. And he says, don't worry about your old stuff. I'll get you new stuff. Just come as quick as you possibly can. Because he's impatient to provide for them. Um, he, he, he wants to care for them. And you see that in Jesus. Um, only more so. Jesus suffering on the cross. And he, what does he say? Our father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing as he's dying. Or, or you think of Jesus on the cross. I, I find this more stunning the more I think about it. It's just a sort of side note. But it, Jesus says to his mother, um, this is now your son, referring to uh, the Apostle John. And he says to, to John, this is now your mother. And, and the disciple, it says, took her into his home. See how he's caring for his own family as he dies on the cross. Such mercy and grace. Such concern for other people. And um, this is the king that Christians believe in. I mean, if, if, if you're not yet a Christian, um, if you're just on the outside looking in, and maybe you thought that God was like an angry deity waiting with a big stick to bash you over the head. Uh, or like he's a demanding boss who just with a long list of jobs, things to do before breakfast. Or... Um, He's a rule setter with a whole list of things he just wants to stop you doing. Instead, um, God sends a king who gives second chances and whose care is very merciful. If, if you're not convinced of that, there's a course called Christianity Explored and, and, and it goes into that kind of thing. I, please do sign up. You've got nothing to lose. Um, God is impatient to provide for you. That's really true. So an offer of a second chance and, and a king of merciful care. And then finally, a God of incomparable control. Incomparable control. Now I realize when I say that that um, 
I don't mean that God's controlling. Um, I mean he's in control. Now, it's the difference between, I guess, a, you know, a partner who um, tries to control you for their own ends, um, tries to control your money or your choices or, or your freedom. God's not like that. Uh, he's more like um, an airline pilot, the kind of person we want to be in control, someone who knows what's going on and will get us where we want to be. Have a look down at verse 8. Chapter 45, verse 8. It's so emphatic. So Joseph is talking to his brothers. He says, so then, it was not you who sent me here. Okay, I, I thought it was. He says, um, it, it is not you that sent me here, but God. Um, you could read it like this. It, it, you did not send me here, but God did. And Joseph has recognized that God is in complete control of the world. He, he can control people and events. He can say in advance how things are going to be. Um, he knows, the Bible says, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows how things are going to work out. Uh, he never panics. He's never, uh, he's never anxious. He, he will overturn the world order to make sure that his promises come true. Nothing takes that God by surprise. Lucky breaks, what we think of as lucky breaks or coincidences are 100% up to God. Um, he has a purpose, verse 5, you see. Um, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. There's the purpose. We'll come back to that next week. Um, and he knows that there's a, there's a problem, verse 6. For the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping. There's the problem, completely under God's control. We know that because he's revealed it in a dream. But then he's got a plan, verse 7. God sent me, Joseph said, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance, a great, great sort of salvation, great rescue. And that's the plan. To purposefully save lives. That's how God uses his sovereignty, if I can put it like that. To purposely saved lives. This is an active God. He's not, he's not sitting up in heaven uh, with his arms folded. He hasn't sort of wound up the world and, and left it to its, to its own devices. Um, he's not cruel. He, does, he takes no enjoyment in, in people's suffering. He's a good God. But, but, but the problem, problem that we have is we don't always see the outcome from the details. Can you see that? That's the problem that we have. Things look quite quite sort of foggy for us you know we're sort of in the fog of life and we can't really see where we're going um, and 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 so we need to learn to trust that god knows the god god knows the outcome um, joseph has um suffered hasn't he as we've been through the the brothers have been bewildered um, and as for jacob i say several times doesn't he is it's going to take my grey hairs down to the grave. Seems to think a lot about his death. And then he learns the news that Joseph is, is alive. And that almost kills him, doesn't it? Um, in, in chapter 45. Um, everyone's a little bit lost. But they learn to trust that God knows where things are going. God is leading people forward. So that is the point. That a world where God is in charge is a world of maximum mercy. Can you see that? 
world where God, in charge, God is in charge is a world of maximum mercy. Um, you know, I, I love I love Joseph the Musical. Um, when I was growing up, we had um, two sort of albums that we could play. One was um, Elvis's Fifty Greatest Love Songs, and um, and the other um, was Joseph the Musical. I know every single word. There's some people here who um, who gave us a ticket to see Joseph recently in the West End. Jason Donovan playing Pharaoh. I was I, I was singing singing along sometimes internally, and uh, and and sometimes not. Um, but in the musical, I don't know whether you've been to see it. Um, the sort of rousing finale is everyone singing "Any Dream Will Do." You know, "Any Dream Will Do." Um, seems to me that that is probably the least appropriate thing to sing at the end of the Joseph narrative, don't you think? Any dr- that, that is not what Joseph is. T- I mean, it's a great, it's a great song, you know. Um, I can't think of anything more inappropriate to sing at the end of, of the Joseph narrative. Maybe I did it my way. I mean, that would be almost as bad, wouldn't it? Um, because if I can put it like this, there is only one dream that will do, and, and, it's, and it's God's dream, if, if I can put it like that, God's plan to, to save his people. That's the, that's the dream. That, that's, that, that's, the, that's the goal. That's the purpose that we want to fall in line with. That's the only dream that will do. Because, because that is a gracious God bringing about a plan to, to bless us. We don't always feel it now. But we trust that that's true. God's dream is to save a family through his king, through, through the suffering of his king. And, uh, and that that family will find peace, find shalom. Um, and, um, and, and that people will be given a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a fifth chance. And and, and it's a place where people will find mercy ultimately in God's King, God's King Jesus and, and begin to, to form this sort of harmonious band of, of brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. Only that dream will do, and that's why we sing about it every week. It's about being rescued by Jesus. Rescued by Jesus. The problem is that right now we might not see the outcome from the details, and I you know, I understand that, and I feel that too. Um, I know people who've experienced things this week that have hurt them very deeply, um, and um, I know people who are struggling significantly, and they just, you know, many of us just can't see in the fog of life which way God is leading us. And and if that's you, then this week might be might be for you an exercise of trust, and it's hard. Trusting that God is good, that he's not cruel, um, that he's taking us somewhere worth going ultimately to be with him through his merciful king. He'll be with us every step of the way. So that belief that God is in control, we sometimes talk about it as, as, as God's sovereignty. We, something, we sometimes think of that as something quite sort of um, cruel and heartless, don't we? Sometimes I think. Um, something hardcore, something unhelpful. But Joseph shows us a better way. Um, the, the Articles of the Church of England, um, sort of foundation statements of, of belief, 
talk about the doctrine of, of God's sovereignty as being for our godly comfort. <laughs> it's true. Joseph shows that in a world where God is in charge, that there is maximum mercy. Maximum mercy, because God is, is using his sovereignty um, to restore a family, bring them to unity by a great deliverance. And because he's in control, then that rescue we can trust day by day is completely secure. Well, let's pray that we'll be encouraged by that. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your great plan, your great dream, to gather together a people and, and unite them uh, unto your king in unity and save them for all eternity. Your, your plan in Jesus Christ, um, his death on the cross, is to bring about a great deliverance. Oh, but Father, we, um, oh, we really struggle sometimes just with the things that uh, batter us and and hurts us from, from day to day. We just so we get a bit lost in the fog sometimes and we can't always see that. And I and I pray, Father, that that you would give us that trust um, based on on good information, you give us that trust that, that you know the way, that you're leading this world to a conclusion, and that if we trust you, we will be a part of that. A great deliverance. And so I pray, Father, that we'd know that. This is a world where you're completely in control. And because of that, we know that your mercy and our future is entirely secure. And please um, help us if we're struggling. Give us that sort of clear sight that knows that you are in control of every detail of our lives. And so faith in your purposes is the right way to live. Show us that, Father, we ask in the days ahead. And we ask in your name.